Okay, folks, welcome to Brian Talks to Humans, a people's podcast about everyday people. This is the third and final installment of my interview with Rosie. Uh, we close out uh, talking about all sorts of things as usual, uh, including sort of her political worldview and finding out she was neurodivergent and how that shaped her life, as well as some, uh, some medical issues and, you know, sort of what gives Rosie meaning and, and purpose at this point in her life. And we kind of, you know, play a few games to, to end on a light note. Uh, as with the other two episodes or other two segments, please be aware that we're talking about heavy topics like, you know, mental health and um, neurodivergence and chronic medical uh, conditions and uh, sexuality and sexual assault and, you know, uh, eating disorders. All, you know, just, you know, keep in mind if you're listening to any of these three episodes, there's just, a, you know, a lot of a lot of heavy stuff going on. So just wanted to let folks know. As always, thanks for listening. I came back to the theater department and I love it. <laughs> As usual, as I have my entire life. Perhaps un- unsurprisingly, you know, I don't, you know, whatever generalization, but listen, there's constellations of things that often travel together. But, you know, given your, you just, your you-ness, <laughs> just your, your story, where you've been, the neurospiciness, the, the queerness, the art- artistic nature, one, one would not be surprised that you have very good politics. And I don't know that we've talked about it m- much, and I don't know that I have a great answer to this question, but can you remember anything along the way of like that pushed you in certain directions, you know, uh, events or things you learned or like kind of how you got to, to have that sort of worldview? Uh, certainly my mom um, and her, her just like her openness and the things like how it wasn't until I got to public school and other people outside of the theater community that I learned what racism was or uh, homophobia or Mm. any of those things. So I think that speaks volumes in that all those weren't, they were so, and I'm of two minds, right? Like it's also educational to know that other people hold those beliefs, but mm-hmm. I was also raised that that when I found out that people take issue with things like that, that it was it seemed ridiculous <laughs> because it was it was mm-hmm. such an obvious it was already it was part of my normal life that people were gay and not white and dip different or um like it just it was such I remember it being such a shock that people had these hateful ideas about things that really don't affect them um at all uh so uh, that maybe a little bit um and then just (laughs) selfishly it's it's things that have affected me personally and um, the people I love that I am, that I get uh, into my activist um, roles um, with. So it's fun. In, in university, I was part of the... Um, Carlton Young Liberals Association. Uh, I think I was secretary or something. So at one point, those were my politics. Um, the Green Party here on PEI is uh, is like a, a leading party, which is incredible. Like not in the rest of Canada, but here they're huge. Um, and uh, Canada is different than the states in that like uh, my understanding is that in the U.S. there's really only two parties. I mean, I think there are some like, you know, yeah, there there are, but it's essentially <clears throat> it's a duopoly. Yeah. Yes. So that's not the case in Canada. There are there are at least four, and then there's Quebec. <laughs> um, so, um, but yeah, politics. It's interesting. So it depends on. A lot of it is what issues affect my life. So um, being an advocate for 
queer people, being an advocate for disability justice, being, I am also a Libra, so I hate unfairness. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know, and, and, and artists and, and funding for art, all of those things are spheres where I'm really active. Um, I try to do as much mentorship as I can, as much training as I can, um, and sharing what I know and have learned with other people, because um, I think there's not enough of that. Um, yeah. Mm. I, you're gonna, you probably won't believe me, but um, as much as I quote unquote, like, don't believe in astrology, you know, because it kind of falls under that category that I yeah, said yeah. before, of like, you know, we, we're, <laughs> we're making it up, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, it, it's especially that I don't like, like the way that it's used, you know, sort of being like sort of co-opted from its like ancient roots and things like that. But yeah. all that to say, I was going to, my first guess would have been Libra. <laughs> I am the Libraist Libra I have ever met. Like and I, as, am, a, as an Aquarian, yeah. we are supposed to get along. So that's yeah, and so we do. Besides the Libra ness, when I one thing I learned, you know, on my short so far journey of being aware that I'm neurodivergent is something called justice sensitivity. Mm -hmm. And when I when I found that out, I was like, well, that fucking explains a lot, you know. <laughs> do do you think that like maybe that has also played a role in um your yeah. like political outlook or whatever? Yeah, I think so definitely. I think I'm sensitive to everything. <laughs> a lot of things, but yeah, 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 yeah. I've always felt deeply um troubled by injustice and unfairness and inequality um but it took me it took me until I was an adult to really understand um privilege mm -hmm. um I think I thought uh I think I thought that because I had quote-unquote good politics um that I was a good guy um, but it has to be more active than that, right? Like you have to actually dismantle and you actually, and I am very conflict averse, but you have to face conflict if mm -hmm. you're going to do a good job of, um, of being, of advocacy and of fighting the good fight and all of that. So especially over the past, I would say, since we moved to PEI, surprisingly, um, I think because it's a smaller place, you can make a bigger difference, maybe. Mm. I'm not sure, but I've felt like I have made more of a difference and, um, and that it's, it's easier to, to find and build community here than any other time in my life. Um, yeah, like, I, I, I wonder, I wonder about that if it's, if it's where I am in my life and mm. my experience and what I've learned or whether it's geographic or maybe with, whether it's both. Uh, but I mean, we're, we're sort of, you know, we're both in our forties and besides lifting up the lid on neurodivergence, there's just kind of been a, a, a general swing for me of like, I don't, I don't give a fuck. I'm just going to be me, you know, like, yeah. like you know, yeah. like I don't give a fuck what people think as much as I did when I was a teenager, when like every yeah. single thing you did was had such consequences and was like, Oh God, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, yeah. and I just kind of just let me be me, you know? And again, I, I, it's easier for me to do that because of my positionality, but you know, I think that's certainly played a role. So yeah, it's everything. It's both end. It's, it's yes. And it's, it's all yes. those things really. Yeah. Oh, um, that reminds me of one of my favorite musical theater lines. It's from into the woods. Um, and it's, it's talking about, well, maybe you can like play a clip or something, but the line is um, when you've had an and, and you're back to, or, makes the or mean more than it did before but it is talking about that concept of it it doesn't have to be 
mutually exclusive, right? Mm. You can have you can have and <laughs> you can be you can be and it doesn't have to be or. In fact, it's often impossible. Like, oh, you're always going to be you're multitudes. We are we hold multitudes. Um, so yeah, like for example, I have I have been way more open as a queer woman here than I have been when any time I lived in a big city, which seems counterintuitive, right? Right, yeah. Like in a Do you feel like a responsibility to live out loud because there's less of it around and you want and you want to be uh I don't want to say a, a beacon because that dramatizes it, but one of the reasons that I will still Oh go God, to a, don't dramatize to, something. Uh, not you. <laughs> Uh, you know, the, the way that like sometimes I'll still go to a traditional AA meeting, but like I'll tell my truth. I won't be scared to talk about like that the, there's no God in this for me because there might be somebody in the back of that room who that's the thing that's going to chase them out. You know what I mean? Is, is the God yeah. stuff, right? So and things like that, like I will not stop talking about certain political things, you know, I, I pick and choose when it seems right. you know the, when the juice is worth the squeeze. But in spaces where they they often don't belong, quote unquote, because yeah, I want to normalize it, and I I want I want the other person who's thinking that who doesn't feel like they can say it, right, to have a little more cover. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I think less that actually. I think it's because, or maybe it's because other people did that for me. Mm. Um, here, there is a beautiful queer community here that is loud and proud, as they say, and I found them pretty immediately. And there, um, there's events and such great supports. And um, yeah, PEI has a, it's about, I think it's about 175,000 people on the entire island. Hmm. Um, so we, we are we, but we as in small, <laughs> we are we. <laughs> anyway, um, so I don't know, it's, it's strength and community and the, the knowing and the safety and numbers and also the need to be visible and because we are so small here I think yeah a little bit of responsibility and the understanding that we it is on whatever generation happens to be here at the time it is our responsibility to ensure that there is a safe space for the next people and to build it and to grow it so yeah I've been I've been part of Pride PEI essentially since I moved here and from a volunteer to I was um, a board trustee for a minute. Um, yeah, and but there's more than one organization that also incredibly <laughs> works um, in the queer community here. It's, it's, it, it, I, it was one of the most surprising things about moving here. A, I didn't realize, uh, one of the other huge ones was that I did not realize how unhealthy my, the way I was living my life in terms of busyness and pace mm. and workaholism <laughs> uh, in Toronto, uh, the commute of an hour to an hour and a half each day, each way, and the you know, coming off of run of doing two full time jobs and being the only employee of a major theater company, like I was, I was really burnt out and the pace expected generally. And just the way, like, I remember in the first few months that we moved here, I couldn't believe how slow everything like people talked slower people walked down the street slower people looked you in the eyes on the street like nobody honks like I honked many times a day in Toronto mm -hmm. nobody honks here and you like you lose the anonymity of living in a big city but you also gain community yeah, yeah it's wild so uh, uh 
I promise I'll get you out of here soon, but I have a, a few more, few more questions for you. So, yeah, yeah, do you know, it. One of the things that I'm dealing with is is burnout, right? Yeah. And sort of, I've always been a person who, you know, I would talk about all or nothing, swing back and forth between I'm yeah. overcommitted and yeah. overscheduled, and then like I got not enough on my plate, right? And yeah. I'm trying to been calibrating that for years. And like the more that I learn about my brain, I'm looking at, you know, how I spent this year because I've, you know, been on administrative leave from work. And, you know, before I found Flow Club, like the, the amount of unstructured time I had was fucking torture. And then yeah. I, th- I think about also like, but then it's scary to say, like, when I think about the role my neurodivergence plays in this, I can probably only do about. 40 to 60 percent of what was like on my schedule before Hmm. you know like that's probably the estimation that I should be shooting for do you mean that'll save me from getting burnt out right okay yeah I meant do you mean do it well do it healthier do it do it healthier you know you can do a sense of it (laughs) yeah I yeah right for sure yeah um the thing so yeah, to, to do it sustainably and not, and not burn out and things like that. And one of the yeah. things that scares me is being understimulated because just yeah. as overstimulation is a problem, so is understimulation. How Absolutely. have you navigated that in this sort of slowing down of your, your life? Basically, I'm just fishing yeah. for like actually advice yeah. right now. Yeah, well, for, the, for most of my, I guess... Getting burnt out to the point of menti bees, which is my cute term for mental breakdowns. Mm-hmm. So going until you literally break was a cyclical pattern that I had. Um, therapy and and the actual diagnosis of ADHD and autism have opened up a world of tools and ways to recognize signs of burnout. Mm. Um, This right now is the longest run I've had of working through successfully (laughs) with no Menti Bs. So since returning from COVID and um pivoting from um the fundraising department into the theater department this is the longest run mm-hmm. of my life so i think there's a number of factors i think it's that i have realized that i do need external help to regulate myself and my brain and um so that's therapy that's flow club that's being really open with my team um at work and my husband and friends so that they are all aware of not weaknesses necessarily but where my uh, Achilles heels the czar, um, so that they can also say, oh, hey, like, I noticed you did, like, four 16-hour days this week. Um, maybe you should take some time off, or, um, yeah, are you, when I, things like, I, that's an example, um, or, like, when, when I start to cry multiple times a day, that's a good indicator for me that I'm in treacherous territory. Um, but I think also one of the things that prevents burnout is um, doing what I love. Mm. That's, and I know that's a really privileged thing to be able to do, but um that really, really helps. Like I am willing to do the extra mile to to help an actor who's in crisis or to get 
the show on the road or whatever the case may be. But <clears throat> I'm also more, way more conscious that it has to be a balance. Hi, Libra again. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the scales, right? So if just, I guess, paying attention more to myself and also just because even if I'm not feeling burnt out in in a moment or after a week where I have done multiple really long days, I now know that that's that, you know, spoon theory that costs me something and I need to balance it out. So mm-hmm. I will just with it, even though even if I'm not feeling exhausted, I will take some time off because I know that I need to protect myself if I want to mm-hmm. keep going. And I can't nobody wants a person who keeps having mental breakdowns like that's not helpful (laughs) um although uh, like if you're just crazy enough to make the sex good then you know i'll give you a pass yeah fair but so i think so saying all of that i think in terms of work i think the number one thing that has been key for me is the openness about neurodiversity to my team Mm -hmm. and um and we we all share and this is you know maybe it's because we work in the arts or something that we wear our hearts on our sleeves a little more but Mm -hmm. we know what's going on in each other's lives like we know if somebody's having you know, somebody's dog just died or somebody's having marital problems or somebody's mom is sick or, you know, like we, we know those things and we are pretty close team. So we watch out for each other. Um, And I know I'm really lucky to have that and that's not possible for everyone. So uh, the, the other big piece I would say is therapy for real. Mm. And having that neurodivergent group therapy through the queer lens was other than EMDR trauma therapy that I've done multiple times in my life that that changed my life completely that was we just ended in um May so it's still really fresh and it was nine months I think long and there were only five people in the group and two facilitators and it was it blew my mind open Mm. Um, and like the permission to ask for what you need to ask for the accommodations you need. There's nothing wrong with you. It is, it is a difference in how your brain works. It's like when, uh, would we blame somebody in a wheelchair or look at them you know cockeyed if that well, you can't say that you definitely can't say that anymore mm-hmm. <laughs> would we would we expect them to feel guilty or look at them strangely if they mm-hmm. asked for an elevator or a ramp mm-hmm. into the building right like it's being brave enough to ask for what you need i think might be the key here <laughs> mm. so I wanted to ask you with the neurodivergence and maybe I'll put these two questions together. Um, I was going to ask you like when you found out and sort of how that changed, how you like saw yourself or the world, like the way that I describe it to people is like these things that I thought were separate, that were in separate buckets (laughs) that, that were, you know, related to how people struggled with me. I struggled with people and I struggled with me this was now the through line that connected them all and like all the dots connected and just like looking at the, at the present and the past through that lens. It's like this, like, aha, like just, you know, so how, how, what was that experience like for you? That's, that's absolutely 100%. It, it was, it was, it, I felt stupid in a way because once it was suggested, 
it was like, oh my God, obviously, obviously. And I mean, because, you know, being classified in grade three as something in the neurodivergent category, uh, you know, giftedness or genius or what, you know, they called it many different things. But um, I sort of thought that that was the quirky brain stuff. And it was just like, and also then the arts nerd and the, yeah, like the being raised without children around. And I thought that was all the, the reasons for why uh, my brain worked weirdly. Also trauma, you know, I, I had done a lot of trauma therapy before I was diagnosed as neurodivergent. And so modern current um, trauma therapy is all about how the brain works and, you know, your limbic system and blah, 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 mm -hmm. and how it goes offline and um, all of the ways that trauma causes changes to your brain and how it works. And I definitely thought for a while that um, the multiple traumas in my life had caused these changes that were, that were um, showing up. I, as like anxiety things and that's why I needed fidget tools and and um my my nana my mom's mom and my mom and I have always been like serial project crafters with you know you hyperfixate on something artistic then you buy everything associated with it and then you stop doing it yep. like yep. The number of Etsy stores that I have had is um, <laughs> but of course, the moment you try to monetize it, you hate it. Yeah. Um, or the, at least that's my experience. So it was normal. Like I thought I got it from my mom and Nana, but which I probably did, but it's neurodiversity. It's, mm. it's 100% <laughs> that. Um, very yeah. soon after I made my discovery, one of the first people I told was a special education teacher I work with. Oh, yeah. Her, her reaction was, oh, yeah, I'm not surprised. Like, yeah. I didn't I, never, I didn't think it myself, but now I see it. Right. OK. Yeah. One of the other first sort of things that happened was kind of what you were alluding to. I was like, oh, this explains my dad. Yeah. And it was easier for me to forgive some of mm. some stuff you know yeah or at least put it in context you know um yeah I already had an OCD diagnosis too mm -hmm. so again with the overlaps with you know generalized anxiety disorder and OCD you can pretty much cover all all of the symptoms of ADHD and autism mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it's also that it's like we talked about at the beginning there these these overlapping symptoms can cause missed diagnoses. Yeah. Um, but it's it's because I think they're related, you know, or, or they are often parallel occurrences. Parallel? Does that mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, uh, yeah. I mean, we, we could go on, you know, for for forever, but you know. Yeah. And, and, and also like a lot of folks with, with our brains, as you experienced, you know, um, bullying, um, disproportionate uh, victims of sexual assault, things, things like that. Right. So like that traumatizes us. Right. So like, that's another reason why the overlap. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Other, yeah. Absolutely. The other thing I wanted to, to ask you about is, um, sort of like how that changed, like how you saw the world or, or sort of like you in it. And, I, you know, we are in the middle of, you know, a movement, a very interesting historical moment where, yes. you know, the high maskers that slipped through the cracks in our generation, you know, we're discovering it. A lot of the yeah. information, the best information about us comes from us, mm -hmm. you know, on like social media and YouTube and not from 
like the the profession like the medical profession and the psychiatric profession and you know the medical model and 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 things like that and it's really just a really interesting moment to to live through and it's certainly changed like uh, uh, in a way i told people it doesn't change a goddamn thing about me but then it also <laughs> changes everything about me you know and it, <laughs> yeah and um and i'm still figuring it out right there's there's some grieving yeah. i think going on too oh it's hard it's hard, it's hard to describe um no i think i get like, what you mean at first it was like eureka and now it's like fuck my entire life was a lie what part right. of what I was doing was masking, like what part of, a, you know, huh. and, you know, that sort of stuff. But right No, Yeah, that didn't happen to me. The, the, the latter part there, because I already had so much going on. Um, sort of just like, oh, yeah, no, I'm not just just another click box to click. But I what. I really rejected the autism diagnosis at first. I, I, I think I had some associations to that word. Um, mm. And my mom was a primary school teacher. So she had definitely some pre-existing concepts or pre-existing notions of what autism was, but that was, you know, in a different generation. Um, and like you say, so much is happening right now, right this second. Um, and I really, I, you know, I, I thought of, I thought I was pretty well educated about autism, but I, I really didn't think that's what I, that, that applied to me. I, not that I thought like everybody's rain man, but I, I, I thought that they got it wrong. I, I was like, no, I'm just, I'm just really fucking intelligent <laughs> and quirky. Mm. <laughs> and, um, and then obviously after more research and, and, um, you know, being in neurodiverse support groups and, doctors and stuff, then I realized that, yeah, no, that really, really explains actually a lot um, about me and my way of living slash life. Uh, so it was really, really eye-opening. I'm, I'm still, I'm still learning to embrace it and be brave enough to say it out loud in spaces where things aren't accessible to me. Mm. Um, how how long ago did you make the discovery or get diagnosed or whatever? It was 2021, the end of 2021. Okay. So oh, it's yeah. still so we're on a similar like ADHD for me was like middle of 2021. Wow. Autism was uh just about a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the amazing things is just before that, so in 2020, I is that right? Yeah, 2020, I got my service animal, which was for generalized anxiety disorder and CPTSD. Um, but I have found that she's really, really helpful with neurospicy stuff too. Like she's she's a big alive fidget toy, <laughs> and she yeah, yeah. Um, she helps with she helps me people um mm -hmm, mm -hmm, a mm -hmm. lot um and i think that that like i've been talking a lot to people lately about i think that service dogs um could do wonderful things for neurodiverse people one of the ways um, i stim is like you know essentially yeah you know petting you know belly rubs and Yep. Scratches yep. and sort of rhythmic petting and things like that. Yeah. And now imagine if you could take that with you everywhere you go. Mm. Be amazing. Yeah. 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 So well, yeah. Cause then if you rhythmically pet something else out in the world, they, they kind of, they don't like that. <laughs> Especially other living things. Generally <laughs> not, not, not acceptable or legal. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a process for sure. I, but I, was pretty resistant to it at first but um Adam who I have brought up before in this conversation 
has had um, an ADHD diagnosis since he was a child. So I uh, we always said that I spoke Adam's language. And one of the reasons that we came as a package <laughs> was because I understand Adam's language. And in retrospect, <laughs> the diagnosis makes a lot of sense. With why we work so well together, um, so because we're the same. Also, you know, one of the things that I have learned about is medical trauma. Like I'm in an autism and trauma Ooh, uh, yeah. group chat on WhatsApp, and a lot of folks, you know, unsurprisingly, disproportionately, women have gone through like more medical trauma than I have, and so I've, I've learned a lot about it. You've had conditions throughout the years whether it was osteo or the potassium and, you know, things like that. And also um, cancer. Yeah. And hysterectomy. Yeah. Uh, I have some pretty major medical trauma. Yes, I do. And Um, now you, can you, can you talk about like your current understanding of your, your health condition? Yeah. Yeah. So Obviously, from a young age, hospitals were part of my life because of having nut reactions all the time. You do an EpiPen, but the follow-up is then you go to the hospital. Mm. Um, and as a child, I was quite sick. Uh, I was uh, had severe asthma as a child, so I was in the hospital often um, for that. Um, had some surgeries as a kid things like tonsils and adenoids and was all fine. I had dental surgeries all through my life (laughs) for various things, including like a jaw expansion and uh, many, many, many things. Um, When I got to university and I was, um, I had sort, I had been to Homewood. I was, um, still grappling a little bit with eating disorders um there was a doctor who realized that my potassium levels were still uh like as though i was severely bulimic so um i think i should know this but anyway if people know about potassium my regular potassium levels were like 1.3 to 1.5 and that is not that is like you should be having a heart attack at all times and so she yeah she would put me in the hospital basically every time I did blood testing which was once every couple of weeks because she was so worried about me and um she assumed it was she assumed that I was lying and that I was still um actively bulimic which I was not um but we just that's just I did that throughout university um was basically every two weeks went to the hospital um got on an IV and got potassium levels back up um also during university when I I had my baseline um bone density done during during like the really bad years of anorexia when I was 16 and I was diagnosed with osteopenia then which is the precursor to osteoporosis so um by the time I uh sort of entered the working world after university I already had osteoporosis in my hips um and um one of my shoulders and which is not normal (laughs) again though this could be a result of eating disorder behavior um But again, I was not actively um, daily eating disorder habits. It comes and it goes, but certainly not enough to be causing osteoporosis Mm. um, in my 20s. Um, So blah, 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 a few years later, we've moved to the island and um, I have an irregular pap smear. This is not this happens all the time and it's nothing you have an irregular pop you just have to go in and get it looked at again so um it was a male doctor 
unsurprisingly. And so they found some suspicious tissue. And I feel the same way as though if I had had breast cancer, I would say, just lop it off. Like, I'm, I'll figure it out. I like, I'll get a prosthetic, I'll get surgery, or I'll not have boobs. Like, what? Uh, get the cancer out of me. I, mm. It's aesthetic. I don't care. <laughs> Just like, get it out of me. So, um, and I had decided or knew not, it wasn't a decision, actually. I always knew I, I did not want children in my life. So, this is related because, um, as soon as there was, they do, they did a leap procedure or a loop procedure where they sort of take a hot wire and like scoop out some tissue and uh, test it. And it did, it came back um, uh, like might be cancer. And again, I said, just, you know, just take, take whatever you need to take out, out. Like, and if that's a hysterectomy, go for it. So over the period of two and a half years, it's pretty soon after we moved here, I had four different surgeries with them basically refusing to do a hysterectomy because they wanted to keep my ability to have children intact, which is the exact opposite of what I asked them to do. So that was really, really frustrating. And in the meantime, the suspicious tissue um, became full cancer, full cervical cancer. So um, I ended up having to have a full hysterectomy and cancer treatment, which was totally avoidable and very frustrating. Mm. Um, So that was in 2018. Um, Then, so again, back to the stories of me being gravity sensitive. (laughs) And um, whatnot and having osteoporosis I um at one point I was dancing with some friends and somebody dipped me and broke three of my ribs Mm. Uh, yeah so we did some more testing and turned out I my osteoporosis had spread and this is now like we're in my 30s now we're in PI and um I kept breaking my ribs, like to the point where now, like if I get a cold and I cough too much, I will break a rib. Mm. Um, And they were doing some other testing, bone density and stuff, and figured out that my blood calcium is really, really low. So then uh, they also noted the, the low, low potassium, which is ongoing. Um, and what sent me to the renal clinic, which is kidneys. So did a whole workup and a urine thing where I had to carry a bucket of my pee around for 48 hours and pee in the bucket every time I had to pee. <laughs> it was really embarrassing. <laughs> and, um, I mean, did you at um, least sell it on OnlyFans? Like pictures of it or something? Like, come on. I, they, I had to give all of it away <laughs> to the nephrologist. <laughs> Anyway, so this nephrologist was the first doctor in my life that didn't look at my eating disorder past as the assumptive cause of anything that was going on. He said, well, you know, if you had a sore knee and you had broken your knee as a kid, that would just be one of the, one of the items in the, in the full story of your knee. Like it also might be a million other things. And we put them all together and we try to figure out what the puzzle is. And doctors assuming that things like osteoporosis and the low potassium were eating disorder faults, faults of me, um, because, well, not that they said it's your fault, but it certainly felt like it, like you did this to yourself. Anyway, this nephrologist just took it as, as another little point uh, on the story of my medical history and figured out that I have a rare genetic um, syndrome that is essentially the opposite of diabetes. So it's a blood salt wasting disease, meaning my body doesn't hold on to um, blood salts, sodium, 
calcium, magnesium, potassium. It's usually discovered much, much earlier in life. Um, and because I had so many other things going on medically, um, and because the eating disorder could have been causing a bunch of the things, namely the potassium and the calcium stuff, um, that assumption was made. So this is last year. Um, he discovered it and it's at stage four of kidney disease. And um, so basically that means that my kidneys function somewhere between 20 and 30% of what they should be doing. And it means it's terminal. It means I have um, the latest estimate is um, five to seven years, um, which I'm still that's uh, that's about three, three or four months old, that news. And I'm still very much processing that. <laughs> um, mm. uh, but I'll tell you, it feels so good to know that uh, all the sort of a lot of the medical traumatic medical things that have happened in my life are not my fault. And again, I know logically that having an eating disorder is not my fault either, but it felt like that. Um, mm. So. Yeah, that's a whole level of a whole new level of stuff to deal with. But I'm really thankful that it was discovered now. Um, mm. We have a great renal clinic here, but I am I do plan to do some traveling to other places in Canada to see second opinions and stuff. But it does yeah. it certainly has put a lot of things into perspective about living. <laughs> living intentionally, I guess. And it certainly made me, not that I've ever been afraid to be frank, I've never been called, you know, what's, what's the, what's the line I say about myself? I can't even remember it right now. Um, not vague, but I'm a loud person. I am a talkative person. Uh, yeah. Um, so it kind of just puts on more pressure to be authentically me and figure myself out. What do I want to do? What do I want to not waste time doing? Mm. Definitely, I don't want to waste time pretending or lying or masking. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. One of the great, one of the silver linings I said this week to a friend was, I've been a bit um, career wise, I've been a bit lost since the year 20 because my goal in life was to run my own theater company. <laughs> and I did that in my late 20s. Um, and so maybe that's why I, I haven't been able to figure out what my next goal post or not goal post, my next big goal is, is because perhaps I've already done the big thing career-wise that I wanted to do. Mm. Um, but yeah, identity is certainly a big part of the things I'm thinking about these days and how to live my best queer life and my best neurospicy life and my best authentic self-life. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's the current situation. <laughs> One wellness workshop I had talked about a domain of <clears throat> wellness being your spiritual wellness. And it's something that for me, I've sort of always struggled with because spirituality, I think, you know, is a loaded word that for me has meant, you know, belief in things that I don't believe in. <clears throat> it has, it has meant, um, whether that, you know, is sort of in the, in the, in the higher power sense, right. It's also meant, you know, when I hear like spirituality, I'm like, oh, here come the crystals, you know? Uh, <laughs> oh my God. I love crystals. <laughs> yeah. But do you, or do you believe that they're imbued with healing powers or like, are they just pretty Absolutely. Oh, Jesus. And, uh, and, but then it was, it was kind of said to me over the years, like, spiritual can just mean not the material right and that that was mm. that, made, that made sense to me and so i've kind of opened up Buddhism, to it, right? i think and then in the workshop I'm getting to this they said spiritual you can just 
boil it down to meaning and purpose. You know, do you have meaning and purpose in your life? Mm. What gives you meaning? So my question, Rosie, is what gives you meaning and purpose? Funny, it's, um, you know, back to the research nerd in me. One of the things I did last week was (laughs) print out everything I could find. I'm showing Brian a gigantic binder right now. Everything I could find about advanced care planning and what do you do after you get a terminal diagnosis? And I'm going to flip here to the PEI edition of the advanced care planning workshop. And let's get started. The five steps to advanced care planning. boop a doop a doop five. Number one, think. What makes my life meaningful? (laughs) So uh, you're kind of bang on there, bud. And um, I wrote this answer yesterday, finally. Um, Art, consuming, and creating. Family, partners, friends, pets and other animals, nice sensory things. (laughs) That's all I have so far. Mm. What makes my life meaningful? But number one there is art, both consuming and creating. Can you describe the feeling you get when you consume good art or make art that makes you feel good? I can tell you about my satisfying. Um, I can tell you about my favorite, favorite moment in the world, or the moment, the right, it's a happening. It's a moment that happens in life, in the world. And it's been this way since as long as I can remember. Um, Before a musical or an opera, the audience is coming into the theater and the orchestra is warming up and it's sort of cacophony and the murmuring of people. um, And then the house lights go down Mm. and the band stops playing and the people stop murmuring. And it's that moment right there of anticipation and silence before the lights come back on and you're in the world of the show and the music starts again or the show begins. um, It's that second or two seconds of everybody holding their breath. That is my favorite moment. Mm. Uh, It's curiosity, it's excitement, it's... um, It's ready to be taken away into a different world. Um, And that's just my favorite thing. That silent, high high tension moment. I love it. It's my favorite, favorite place in in the world, (laughs) in time. And space um both stop in that moment (laughs) absolutely absolutely and sensory wise it's a vacuum yeah i i just love it i think i struggle with my own artistic creation because of perfectionism Mm. so i struggle to know when it's finished (laughs) um It so matters. I think it's yeah, right? I think it's actually the 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 creating, the creation that I find joy in rather than the end product. Mm. Um and but for consuming, it's it's 
it's when it takes me away or out of myself or the awe, the feeling of awe um, that I love. So yeah, that's, that's meaning. And my purpose in life is to help artists be artists and to help the creation of art. We're going to, some lighter stuff. We're going to play a couple games. You ready? Yeah. Okay. We're going to play a game called One Gotta Go. Okay. So choose one and it's got to go. All right. Cats. Cats. Mm-hmm. Wait, the, the musical wood. or the animal? The, the musical. Cats. Okay. Into the Woods. Uh, rent. And Hair. Hair. Damn, that's that was too quick. And t- I wanted it to be a difficult one, but I have no idea what your favorite <laughs> musicals are. So why hair? Um, I've worked on a production of Hair with one of the original creators of the show. Um, it's dated. Yeah, it's a period piece now. Um, and there's other pieces from that period that speak to that era better. Hmm. Like what? Plus, plus seeing 20 naked people on stage makes me feel weird. Mm. <laughs> For sure. So that production was when I realized that the carpets match the drapes. Mm. There were two redheads in that show. Mm. <laughs> um, like what? Um, that's a good question. Hairspray, maybe, but I also don't like hairspray. Mm. Um, mm, that's a really good question. All right. One's got to go. Okay. Mich- missionary, doggy style, cowgirl, lazy side sex. Oh, lazy side sex. Done. Out of there. Hate it. Mm, okay. Some people like it. It's different in the morning. That sort of thing. Yeah. No. No, it's always awkward for me. I think it's because I'm like short. Like it's just always weird. And because oh. I'm petite too. Like it's always just sex in a shower is like it's always glorified and but like it's no, impractical. No. Like no, I'm always taller unless, than everybody yeah. and I gotta like, you know, my back's hurting yeah. so I get up under all that, you know. It's like come on. And unless you have like lube in there ready to go, mm, then mm-hmm. it's not this no good. No good oh. at all. Um, would you rather okay, we're not gonna play would you rather? Would you rather have a rewind or pause button on life? Pause. Because no regrets. I would constantly rewind. Constantly. I am I already struggle with indecision. Mm. Rewinding would give me the opportunity to try every single oppor- other choice again with the exhaust. I would have I would try 49 dishwashers with rewind. <laughs> That would be horrendous. It would be torture. That would be hell. A rewind button would be hell. Have you, uh, are you, I don't know, are you a Rick and Morty fan at all? No, never seen it. So Rick is sort of, he's been coded autistic and then actually even alluded to it once in, in the show. But anyway, so <clears throat> there's this one uh, episode where Rick makes Morty a place saving device. Like, you know, having a video game, you can save your place. Yeah. And like, even if you fuck up, you'll go back to that place. So he made yeah, it yeah. for like, made it for life. You know, it was a very <gasps> interesting episode. Whoa. Yeah. Um, yeah. If- I don't know. That one's tough. I also like, I would abuse a pause button really badly too, because I'm so indecisive. Like it, it kills me that you go like grocery shopping. It's torture as well. Why are there 18 brands of tomato sauce? Why? Why do you put us through that? It's <laughs> terrible. Well, you know, um, and, and the funny thing is, like, sometimes one of the, my favorite jokes about capitalism, you know, especially here in the States, is like, 
yeah, I guess I guess we didn't we don't need teeth because you know we have 50, 50 million you know brands of ketchup, right? Like right. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I just, at least, I don't at least I we got that right. Yeah. Yay. Capitalism. Yeah. And like, I also feel like both of those buttons would make a, I would spend my entire life using them or whichever one was there, like obsessively. Um, so I, I would, would never, use, do. I would maybe use pause to catch up on things. <laughs> you know, like just like, let's freeze time for a while. Yeah, Let me I catch up on my to-do list. And then I'll get yeah no i wouldn't i couldn't i couldn't i would i it would be so bad and also just with the life i've had mm. that is way too easy uh, you'd never learn anything yeah all right a couple more that are just non sequitur sort of questions okay. i guess like Love it. how long could you think you could go without talking talking yeah we're topping talking or both <laughs> you know um man that's really hard it de mm. definitely depends on the context but yeah a friend of mine just went on a week-long silent retreat Whoa. Yeah. Could I still write? Hmm? Sign language? Sure. Yeah, you can. What, yeah, you can. yeah, then it could go the rest of my life. No problem. Um, okay. What if I took that away? Probably two days. Okay. If you could sing a duet with anyone, who would it be? Then Manuel Miranda. Uh, we're going to have to fight, but go ahead. Why? Why is that? Oh, um, he is a hero of mine. He, uh, he's like one degree away from Stephen Sondheim. Um, I want to meet him. I feel like he'd be generous. <laughs> um, the way you said that sounded like generous in bed like that like no <laughs> no i'm not attracted to him sexually i'm attracted to him artistically also it would be really fun if we could like freestyle um because he's a master of that i'm not but like in a world in a world where i'm singing a duet with lin-manuel miranda then i guess like i'd be an amazing freestyler too <laughs> If humans came with a warning label, what would yours say? What would mine say? Oh, God. <laughs> it would be a manual, <laughs> not a label. Uh, oh, God. Uh, <laughs> I could be so... <laughs> oh, best before 2030. <laughs> sorry sorry i'm still in the, i i did i have a little bit of dark humor um of course so, so, i i you have to yeah. <laughs> i think that's um, i think that's good first of all i just want to say thank you for being so generous with your time we've been together since before we started to record it's now like more than two hours so you know i really Really appreciate that. Um, it was fun for our brains to make out a little bit. Yeah, um, totally. I, I, I don't say this in a way that, like, I hate saying shit like this because then people feel like pressure, like that, like they're not allowed to be sad or whatever. But like the energy that you bring and the way that you just kind of like, it's cliche, but like light up a room, you know like light up my flow club session is mm -hmm. um you know something that i i really you know i just i just love being around you you know and um i'm really i'm really glad we got uh, an opportunity to do this i got to see your leslie nope binder of advanced care <laughs> you know uh which was so fun funny. and um one thing i always ask people at the end is is there anything 
left unsaid anything that you want to say before we before we part ways here uh, it's always like the last question of a job interview too mm, yeah <laughs> um I have a couple of one-liners that I say a lot. But one thing I've been thinking about a lot lately that I've said my almost my whole life and I'm reconsidering given the current life situation I'm in. I've always said, prepare for the worst, expect the best, and hopefully you'll end up somewhere in between. And I don't know if that's the right philosophy, but I've lived by that my whole life. So I guess uh, I just, I guess I uh, invite people to ponder that with me. Because <laughs> mm. I try to be an optimist, but I'm also, I'm because of, I think, the things that have happened in my life, I, I always feel the need to be prepared for the absolute worst thing to happen because it's happened a number of times. <laughs> um, like, if I'm not expecting a phone call from somebody and they are calling, I assume it's a bad thing. Or if somebody's an hour late, they are clearly dead. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. That's all. That's all I could think of at the moment, anyway. All right. all right. Well, I guess we'll we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for taking the time out. All right. Thank you. Just remembering you've had an end when you're back to or makes the or mean more than it did before. Now I understand And it's time to leave the woods Okay, that's a wrap on my interview with Rosie. I really in enjoyed that and found it so interesting to get to know my new friend better. Uh, it's really great to be back with another new full episode. In fact, so full I had to split it up into three parts. I hope you liked it as much as I did. You can go to BrianTalksToHumans.net for a lot of information about uh, background and uh, old episodes and contact info and all that jazz. Uh, as usual, uh, thanks for listening and move through the world as if you were easy to love. <laughs>